Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactive Mazda prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the August 23rd edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder on the net. This is episode 147 of the series. I'm your host, Adam J. We'll be doing this past weekend of racing. Let me go ahead and apologize for our small technical difficulty here and go ahead and welcome you back to the August 23rd edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. As I said before, this is episode 147 of the series. Adam, Jason, and Claire on tonight's program will be reviewing. Okay, I apologize once again for our technical gremlins. I know the reason for it is because we're going to be offline for a couple of weeks, and it just doesn't seem to be my night with the blog talk radio this evening. As I am not sure at all (laughs) where I cut off at, we're going to go ahead and try one more time here and start at the beginning. (laughs) Once again, I apologize, and hello and welcome to the August 23rd edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder. I apologize again to to our guest, Dakota Dickerson, who is currently on hold. Hopefully everything works out that way. And I also apologize to our co-host, Michael Mullally, who apparently was just kicked offline as well. It's not looking promising for tonight's program, but we'll give it a shot. As I stated a minute ago, our first guest this evening is Dakota Dickerson, standing by on the line now. Dickerson is a 21-year-old born and raised in San Diego, California. He's been racing since he was six years old, starting in go-karts, and currently leads the point championship in in the F4 United States championship series. In his first year of racing cars, he won a driver development scholarship from Brian Herder Autosport, which has won two times in the Indianapolis 500, a Cars to Cars scholarship from the Skip Barber Racing School, and was chosen to be one of two drivers to represent the United States overseas via the Team USA scholarship. As you know, our we've had a previous guest, Tristan Nunez, who introduced the program originally here, if you have been listening since the beginning when we had all of our issues here a few moments ago. We also had the Team USA scholarship. Dickerson later represented Mazda Motorsports as a scholarship driver in the USF 2000 series, where he's currently competing. With this initial success, he hopes to continue to on to the Verizon IndyCar series in the future as part of the Mazda Road to Indy program. Let's go ahead and try this and see if we're able to welcome Dakota Dickerson into the program tonight. Hello, how are you doing hey, tonight? Adam, thanks for having me on. Hey, how's it Thank going? Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for putting up with our little gremlins. Apparently, I might have worked them out. I have no clue, though. <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I can I can hear you fine now. So no worries. Okay. Can you tell us about how your season's gone so far, both in the Formula 2000 series as well as in the in the F4 series? Yeah, so uh, like you said, we're competing in two different uh, junior Formula series right now, USF 2000 
in F4. Um, the F4 championship, we're pursuing a full championship there. So um, right now we're currently leading the points in that with two events remaining. So that's going quite well, working with the DC Autosport guys. Um, and then in the USF 2000 championship, that deal kind of came together uh, pretty last minute and, and really late into the season. Actually started back in Road America, which was June. Um, I got a call from the Arms Up guys and the seat came available. So I uh, was able to get on a plane and go to Road America for the first round there. Um, and then we've done three events with them so far. It's been really great. They're a really good group of guys to work with. Super fun to be around, um, know what they're doing. And we've got one more race in the season at Portland, which is actually next weekend. So it'll be a, a sad but also fun event because that'll be the last time this season that we're working together. And what are your expectations going into Portland next week? Um, yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at our results in the USF 2000 championship back at Road America, we were really struggling actually to break into the top half. We were right around like the 12th, 13th, 14th mark. And that was the first weekend that I've gotten in the car with the Arms Up guys, and we've made a lot of progress since then. Ended up getting on the podium in the next round in the streets of Toronto. Um, had a little bit of difficulties uh, starting in mid-Ohio that caused us to have to start in the back of the pack um, in the three races. But we ended up getting the third quickest lap in the last race, so I know our pace is there. I think we'll have really strong pace again at Portland. So, you know, with a little bit of luck on our side, I definitely think we can compete for some wins and maybe some podiums. But, you know, as you know, I think Kyle Kirkwood and the Cape car has been quite dominant in the series so far as on, I don't know what it is now. It's probably like a seven or eight win streak. Um, so he's definitely going to be a hard guy to beat, but I think we can be right at the pointy end of the field. After last weekend's incident with Robert Wickens, what safety upgrades would you like to see for open wheel racing? Yeah, you know, I think that was um, that, that Wickens incident at Pocono was something that was super scary. And I think, you know, you know we're all really happy to see that he was, alert after after that incident um wishing him a, a speedy recovery and, and hopefully his his you know surgeries go well so i i think the catch fence to be honest is something that needs to be looked at or maybe removed it seems like as soon as a car gets up into those catch fences it, it it definitely just just shreds the cars apart it stops it and spins them around so you know i don't know whether or not that's um a matter of of replacing the catch fences or raising the safer barriers. I don't know what the alternative is, but you know, I, I know the guys in the Verizon IndyCar series are looking at it and obviously taking it very seriously and will make the correct adjustments. It's just um, definitely really scary to see something like that. And I think in addition to that, you look at the crash and there's a debris field going across the entire track, which is inevitable in any sort of crash, but it's really scary having an incident like Justin Wilson just a couple of years back and then seeing that debris field and seeing how much debris is coming down on top of the drivers. And I think even James Hinchcliffe, when you see him getting out of the car, he's holding his arms. And from what I've heard, that was mm-hmm. actually a piece of debris that entered the cockpit. And that's something that's extremely scary too, you know, knowing what happened to Justin. So maybe some form of, of uh, protection for the driver's heads, not obviously going to a cockpit situation. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've looked through, like I've looked at the halo being um, a junior series to F3 Americas. I'm not the biggest fan of the halo, but if it does the job, then it does the job. So maybe something in addition or something similar to that to protect the driver's heads would be good. Do you have any special rituals you go through on race day? Um, So for me, I don't really have a lot of rituals. I I kind of have like a routine that I go through, but I wouldn't necessarily, it's like a a special ritual that, um, you know, I follow, but it's mainly just listening to some music I try and keep really calm before the race. Like 
talk to my guys, the mechanics, the engineers. They always keep me super calm before I get in the car. So just kind of going through the motions before I get in and, and strap in. And then, like, I guess one thing that would be considered a, a ritual that I always do, and I don't know why, it might just be because of my go-karting background. Um, I always get in on the car on the left-hand side, which it sounds like a lot of people do, but um, that's kind of like the only thing I would consider a ritual for me. And where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, for me, I'd love to obviously be in the Verizon IndyCar Series. In five years, I'll be 26 years old. Um, so obviously I'd like to start making a name for myself in the Verizon IndyCar Series. You look at Joseph Newgarden, see what he did with um, the Hartman Racing guys and, and making his name, kind of building up through the ranks in the Maserati Indy, kind of going on to a smaller team in IndyCar and then getting picked up by a big team like Penske. I think that's that's probably a dream for a lot of us coming up through the ranks to work it the way he did. Um, so if I could be in that similar position five years down the road, then I think I would be quite happy with myself. Well, let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, and Efreda Washington, who has a few questions for you as well. Who do you look up to the most in your racing career? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Like I've I've been really fortunate in throughout my entire racing career, even in go-karts um, to be surrounded by a lot of great people who've helped me along the ways. And I'd say like one of the people that really stood out to me the most, and it, it again started in go-karts for me was Joel Miller, who's um, obviously was teammates with Tristan Nunez and the Mazda motorsports program on the DPI slash uh, prototype program. And he was actually my teammate uh, in go-karts back in 2011, 2012, um, was working on the go-karting side, and that's kind of when he got picked up by Mazda, too. And he's been a really big mentor for me. He's based out of the San Diego area, only like 10, 15 minutes away. So um, in my first year of USF 2000, kind of a lot to take in. And he was a really great coach for me, not only on the driving aspect, but also on the off-track side. We deal with a lot of the new things I never had to really deal with in go-karts and Skip Barber. So for me, Joel is somebody that I consistently look up to. He's always grinding. He's always looking for this next opportunity and somebody who's been able to make it in motorsports as a career. And he's been a really big influence on me. And at what point did you know that you wanted to race professionally? Like you wanted to make a career out of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Cause a lot of people always ask like, when did you get into it? But um, it really, I think for me, I, and it's kind of a hard question. Cause I think my, my love and my passion something that's never really stagnant I feel like it's always growing like I always there's always more things that you learn about the sport and you, you experience so much more for me that passion has always continued to grow even from the time I was six to when I'm now so um, you know I always loved racing go-karts uh, passionate about and I think for me that kind of switch that that light came on back in Jesus was in 2013 and I was still racing go-karts at the time I was 15 or I was 16 years old at the time and I had a really bad accident in a, a street race streets of Lancaster which was huge at the time and that um that put me in the hospital for a little bit I was out of the cart for about four months and that was kind of when I really started thinking about okay like what's the next step like how do I how do I get out of go-karts how do I make this a career for myself how do I start making a transition into cars and that's when we found the Skip Barber Racing School and that's kind of how we got into the scholarship program and that type of thing. So I'd want to say back in the 2013 when we were making that transition from carts to cars is when I kind of really decided that this was this was more than just a hobby for me. And I think what a lot of people don't understand too is that 
that transition from go-karts to cars is actually an incredibly hard transition for a lot of people because go-karting is so much fun. It's so euphoric. It's a family sport that it's really hard to actually get out of your comfort zone and stop racing go-karts to go to cars because it's just an entire new beast. So to be able to make that decision for me was something really big for my career. And what do you think could be done, um, like, to get the fans more involved in the sport altogether? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's such a crucial aspect of racing, right? It's like getting the fans to be able to interact with the series, like get them more involved, have a good time. And um, I, I think right now in terms of the marketing side, that everybody's doing a relatively good job. I think this, the drivers and on a general basis do a good job of trying to interact with the fans. I think it a big change needs to happen, in my opinion, in order to really change the interactions with the fans. I think it might need to turn more into kind of have supplemental events going on. Like in last year um, at the F1 race at Coda, that was my, well, that was my second time attending a Formula One event, first time competing during the event. And during the event, they have a lot of different things going on, whether it's concerts at night, they have like an entire, almost like a, actually like a driving range for some of the fans. And granted it is with Formula One too, but I think having supplemental things going on with the racing event, to help people stay, you know, engaged while there's maybe not so much on-track activity going on or maybe their favorite uh, series isn't running on track. I think having things that engage the fans while maybe it's not the peak times of the day is something that might help. And I think you look at a lot of the street races too, and, and a lot of that goes on in, in the fan attendance, at least when I'm racing in USF 2000 at St. Pete and at Streets of Toronto, there's a lot of supplemental activities that keep the fans engaged and allow them to experience a lot of different things. And I think that might be something maybe that can be implemented on purpose-built road courses, you know, like Barber, IMS, um, things of that nature. So that might be something to help, but I'm by no means an expert in that field. But, you know, um, I think something does need to change to keep the fan interaction up. And my final question for you this evening, if you had the opportunity to own your own racetrack, would you? Mm-hmm. I think it I think it would be a lot of fun to be honest. I, I if I had the opportunity to own my own racetrack, I think the the one thing that I'd want to have contingent on that is to have a, a race car to run on it too. Um but I think it would be a lot of fun for a couple of different reasons to own a racetrack and that's the first time actually anybody's ever asked me that question. Um so it has me thinking, but um I think owning a racetrack would be cool because you get to see a lot of people come through the program or like the racetrack I guess, so you get to provide an opportunity for drivers to you know go have fun at the racetrack um if it's by me it's going to be in the san diego area too so it's kind of cool because we don't have a lot of purpose-built road courses down in the southern california area other than like auto club which is a noble um so that, i think that would be a lot of fun and then i would obviously be very selfish with my track time and and try and get on it as much as possible so i think owning a racetrack would be fun as somebody who's never owned it i'm sure if you ask somebody who owns a racetrack there's a lot of things that go into that but on a conceptual standpoint, I'd love to own one. I know you race both in the in the Formula Four series as well as in the the F two thousand series, which they're both the very similar sort of cars. But which one do you actually mm-hmm. prefer riding in? Yeah, that's a good question. So, like you said, they're both very similar. I'd say, like, uh, if you look at them, they're both on like a very similar platform in terms of like the power to weight ratio, the size of the tires, kind of like it's a carbon monocoque chassis with a six speed uh, sequential paddle shift. 
Um, both cars are very well built. Um, the F4 car is certainly, I think, more cost effective in, in terms of the way that they built the cars. A lot of it is fiberglass, fiberglass rather than carbon fiber, so the car is a little bit heavier. The Honda Civic Type R engine without the turbo in the F4 car is incredibly reliable and provides enough power to get that car going. And then likewise, in the US F2000 chassis, it's quite a bit lighter, lighter overall. I think it's about um, 150 pounds lighter. The Mazda MCR engine puts out about 170 horsepower. So to me, both cars provide a different driving experience. Um, the US F2000 car is a bit quicker, which is fun. I think both series provide good opportunities in terms of the actual racing experience as well. So for me, I actually enjoy going between both cars like for example we'll be at portland in a week weeks after that we'll be in the f4 car and it's quite an easy transition going back in between both because they are such a similar platform and also one more question i know that the uh you're part of the mazda road dindy is the competing for the scholarship in the uh in the f2000 although it's not a full-time ride for you this year it probably will be next mm-hmm. season um how do you feel about the fact that the that mazda is leaving as the primary sponsor yeah. of the Road Indy. Yeah, that's, I mean, when I I first heard that news, it's it's obviously kind of a, a punch to the gut, you know, because they've been so involved and they've been so supportive to all the drivers, not only in terms of the scholarship, but everything else that they do on the marketing side, on the coaching side. Um, they really help develop drivers, and I think that's a crucial part of their program. So I think everybody is extremely grateful and thankful that, they've been involved in the program for so long and they've devoted so much of their time and resources into the program. So it's really hard to see them go. Cause it's almost like, it's almost like um, going through like a breakup in a relationship. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to see them go. I think everybody understands that they, they have their focus and, and everybody understands that. But as I know, as a Mazda scholarship driver, I'm just so grateful to have been able to experience and go through that program and work with guys like John Dude and Kyle Kimball, you know, all those guys have been such a, a tremendous help in getting my career to the next level. And still to this day, they are involved with me, whether it's just on a coaching standpoint or bouncing ideas off of them. It's, it's really like a never ending program once you're in it. And it's, it's super cool to be involved with those guys. So, you know, I think everybody's wishing them the best of luck on the sports car side in terms of DPI and their Mazda MX-5 cup, and even in their club stuff with Spec Miata and, and all those other programs. So, you know, we're all really happy for them. Would love to for them to stay in the program, but everybody understands, and I think everybody's super grateful. But we'd like to wish you lots of luck next week in Portland. My father will actually be out there for the race, so hopefully it's a, oh, it's a good nice. race. Hopefully the weather's good, so it should be pretty cool. Yeah, I'll try and make it a good race for sure. There you go. Well, thanks again, and have a great evening. Yeah, thank you for having me on, guys. Once again, that was Dakota Dickerson, who competes both in the in the. Uh, F2000 series and the Mazda Mara Sports Ladder, as well as in the F4 series. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Nolly or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. It's been a couple weeks since we've had this program on the air. We've had uh, some scheduling things. We've had some other, other issues, more technical gremlins. Hopefully they're gone for tonight, but uh, a few weeks ago, Michael Mullally was able to head out to the NHRA Northwest Nationals at Pacific Raceways. She covered the event for us. She did a few interviews. So how was the event out there? It was fun. I, I mean, I can't say that I've ever went out there and it wasn't fun. 
Yeah, there was actually quite a lot of people there. It wasn't super busy the first two days, but the last day, of course, everybody was piling in, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, we met a lot of cool people. We talked to, I mean, quite a few people, and my dad was happy that he got to go beyond the limits and get all the pictures that he got. And besides the alternator going out right when we got there, you know, it wasn't a bad weekend at all. I I wish we could have more weekends like that, honestly. I got to say, I think three days is a little much at first, but now that we've been back for a couple weeks, it's like I could go another three days. I think the initial three days is a lot because you got, you know, like all the the walking, which is going to make me sound really lazy, but it is a lot to walk from one side of the stand to the other through Nitro Alley to your car. Like, it is a lot of walking, and especially when you're, like, trying to get through, like, all the crowds and stuff. It's tiring, but it's worth it, and it was a lot of fun. Well, for the people who haven't been following on the uh, on the on either your Facebook page or the Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder page. Can you tell us a little bit more about the people you talked to there? So we talked to... Um, how many people did we talk to? So we talked to three people. We got the privilege of interviewing the Cat Spot top field driver. And for those that don't know, Cat Spot was the initial sponsor of the event. And he was really cool. Unfortunately, he didn't have the greatest luck. He did make it to... The first round, or was it the second round? I honestly, I cannot remember. Um, but he was really fun to talk to. And, you know, he wasn't like a, a high-dollar guy. His sponsor would have, I mean, made things otherwise. But just talking to him, you could tell. And he was really nice, and his views on the sport as a whole were really, I mean, they're interesting. It's interesting to hear everyone's different views. And then we got to talk to a guy out of Texas who was down for the event. He owns Diesel Clean or Power Clean. I think it was Power Clean. And he owns a multi-million dollar company down in Texas. He built his own dragster from the frame up. And they are currently competing for the world record in a diesel dragster. His dragster had 2,600 horsepower. It was actually really interesting. And we sat and talked to them for like, we talked to them for like two hours one day. And him and my dad kind of had different views a little bit on diesel clean and diesel, but that's because my dad hauls it and he's educated on it. So he was really cool. And then we got to talk to the crew chief of the Make-A-Wish car. And that was really interesting because they weren't 100% sure that they were even going to have a ride, let alone, I mean, a sponsor this year because last year their owner passed away and she was the owner of the foundation. And so we got to talk to him. And he was really nice. He, you know, he was really busy, so it was really cool for him to take 10 minutes out of 
10 minutes out of his day to talk to us. So that was really cool. And, yeah, it was pretty successful. Um, It's been a while, so I can't exactly remember everything that we talked about. But, you know, everybody's always more than welcome to go back and listen to the interviews. But actually, they're really interesting. It's really interesting to hear how different the opinions are from everybody. So they're kind of interesting. Go listen to them if you have a chance. And what's the next uh, event you're planning on going to? We were actually going to try to go to the Portland race, which, as our guest just said, is this coming weekend or next weekend, one of those weekends. Mm-hmm. But with everything that's kind of going on right now, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, yeah, but I, I kind of want to go to State Line, which is like two hours away from me for their short track local racing. I've never been out there, so I'd kind of like to at least go check them out before their season's over. I haven't really been to as many events this year as I would like to go to, but priorities, you know. I'll make that a priority next year, of course. Yeah. As we uh, discussed a few minutes ago with our previous guest this past weekend, wasn't a very good uh, racing weekend for IndyCar as a whole, as Smith Pearson motorsports driver Robert Wickens had a had a horrifying crash there at Pocono. He underwent surgery on Monday, August 20th at Lehigh Valley Hospital, Cedar Crest, to stabilize a thoracic spinal fracture associated with a spinal cord injury sustained during the IndyCar event at Pocono Raceway on Sunday, August 19th. Titanium rods and screws were placed successfully in Wiccan's spine during the surgery, which was performed without complication. Severity of the spinal cord injury is indeterminate at this time. Wiccan is expected to undergo further surgery to treat fractures in his lower extremities and right forearm. He remains in stable condition. Further updates will be provided when available. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch the uh, the race this past weekend. I had other things going on. I actually took a, uh, a pretty cool cruise on the uh, cruise in Tiki's West Palm Beach, which I covered on Palm Beach Happening. But I know that you were able to watch the a little bit of the race there. What was your opinion of the of the crash and the event as a whole? I mean, the crash it was bad, but at the same time, I think it was kind of just one of those freak accidents, like one of those, I don't know how to put it without sounding bad, but I think it was just one of those, like IndyCar or NASCAR at least, you know, they do like their safety stuff, but at the same time, like no matter what you do, there's always, you know, that one chance that something's going to go terribly wrong no matter the precautions you take to avoid it. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of just what happens, you know, and it's bad and it's really sad, but I think it was just a freak accident, a bad one, and I'm not taking away from that, but I think it was just kind of one of those freak accidents that, like I said, it takes one and... That's all that happened. Yeah. Yeah, Although everyone's everyone's thoughts are geared towards Wiccans, and they should be, it could have been much worse. 
It is with heavy hearts that we announce the passing of Alex Muth, age 22, who was involved in an on-track incident during the American Flat Track event at Black Hill Speedway in Rapid South Dakota, on Tuesday, August 7th. Despite the immediate action of first responders and the best efforts of the very experienced staff at Rapid City Regional Hospital, Muth succumbed to his injuries on Thursday, August 16th. Muth was an up-and-coming rider from Black River Falls, Wisconsin. He'd be deeply missed by his peers and fans alike. The class of 79 has established a memorial fund for Alex Muth, with all donations going directly to Alex's family. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made at http slash www.amaft79.com or by writing a check for Alex Moose Memorial Fund payable to the class of 79 at 3989 Springer Lane, Springfield, Illinois, 62711. Although the F2000 series is off until Portland next week, the two highest rungs on the Mazda Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires Open Wheel Development Ladder Series will return to action this weekend at the Gateway Motorsports Park in Madison, Illinois. The unique egg-shaped 1.25-mile oval situated just across the Mississippi River from St. Louis, Missouri, will host one race apiece for on Saturday for Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tires and the Pro Mazda Championship presented by Cooper Tires. The event will take on a little more significance with additional points on offer for the final oval race of the season and several drivers still chasing potentially career-changing scholarship prizes that could take them one step closer to their ultimate dream of a career in the Verizon IndyCar Series. The Monster IndyCar, the Monster IndyCar, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series has a rare weekend off, but Xfinity and Kemper World are still in action. The NASCAR Xfinity Series takes to the track at Road America for the Johnsonville 180 on Saturday, August 25th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Television coverage will be on NBCSN at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. All radio coverage will be available on MRN as well as Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. The biggest news in the Xfinity Series this past few weeks has been the announcement that Elliott Sadler will be leaving the series at the end of this season. Another big item is the fact that Bill Elliott will be running the GS- GMS entry at this weekend's race. What do you think about that? To be honest, I don't really know enough about it to give an opinion. Because I really, it's been kind of hard to follow like everything as much as I've wanted to this season. And I keep telling myself I'm going to follow it better and it just never worked out that way. So <laughs> with that, what is your opinion? Well, I actually think it's interesting that Bill Elliott's going to be racing at the uh, at Road America this weekend. It'll be kind of cool to have Chase Elliott as his spotter. I know that Bill Elliott was the spotter for Chase during the, his recent win in the in the Cup Series. Um, I don't think that Bill Elliott will be competitive in the Xfinity Series, but it'll be cool to see him going around the track anyway. I know he just wants to do a, a one-off in the, uh, in the Road America because he didn't do very many, hasn't done very many uh, sports car-style tracks in the past few years. So I think it's just sort of one of those one-off things. Um, He also has a a relationship with the GMS team, and I'm sure he's helping them out quite a bit to to prepare their cars for next season. Next season, GMS is supposedly going to be racing full-time in the Sprint Cup Series. Not the Sprint Cup Series, the the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Um, But he'll be uh, be helping them out quite a bit with with Mike Beam, who is a former crew chief of his. I know there's some news that's just come out recently about the fact that there probably won't be a uh, was it the uh, the Denver Mattress team the team that uh, 
that Martin Truex Jr. works for. That team's probably going to be sold to GMS within the next few weeks. It might not finalize till after the season is over, but uh, that's at least what the big rumor is. So that'll put uh, put Spencer Gallagher back into the into the Cup Series, which is his big dream. Uh, so that'll be kind of cool. Um, we're going to be talking about that in a moment in the next segment, but that'll be kind of interesting. And uh, as far as Elliot Sadler, Elliot Sadler is the sort of guy who's had a kind of an odd career. I mean, he started out in the uh, pretty much started out just jumping right into the Cup Series because he and his brother Hermie had the had the experience in the short track cars and everything, and they moved they moved really quickly up the ladder. But they never really had the success that the uh, that other people have had. Um, Elliot Sadler was given a great opportunity by Dale Earnhardt Jr. To, uh, to work in his team. Um, he's had some pretty good success, but I don't, he's, never, he's never had all the success he hoped for. And I think the fact that Sadler's just getting a little bit older um, is one of those deals where he's going, to, he's going to leave the sport. I don't think he'll end up doing the same sort of thing Hermie did, where he goes into broadcasting. I think that Elliot Sadler might be a sort of guy who just sort of turns into someone like uh, Carl Edwards who sort of disappears. But that will be... That will be something to not have Elliot Sadler at the track. Um, so that'll be, he's always been a passionate driver. I've seen him in the, uh, in the uh, media center a couple of times. He's always been a rather, rather passionate about his driving. He's the sort of guy, very similar to, to Kyle Busch. Only you don't, you don't hear about him as much because he doesn't always, always finish as high up on the ladder as he'd hope. So kind of interesting. Also, this weekend, the NASCAR Camp World Truck Series will head north of the border to the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park for the Chevy Silverado 250. The event takes place on Sunday, August 26th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time and will be covered by Fox Sports 1 as well as MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. In Truck Series news, Dalton Sargent is out of the GMS ride and Spencer Gallagher, the two-time guest on this program, is back in the truck. Gallagher has been bouncing around from series to series lately since his return to racing after completing the road to recovery. How do you think that Gallagher is going to be doing this weekend as he's back in the truck series again? Again, kind of something that I don't think I can comment on because I'm a horrible co-host and I... Didn't even know about that until I just read it in the script earlier. So That's horrible. my apologies. How, how dare you not pay attention to news that the, that's been buried so deep in the internet that you actually have to look it up and make sure it actually is true. <laughs> uh, uh, they it, they released it and it was a big deal for like two hours. It was all over the uh, a lot of the racing things and then it disappeared. Um, I'm not sure what the deal with Dalton Sargent is. I know that there, I have a press release somewhere um, that deal, details the fact that it was just sort of a, whether a, uh, it was a last minute deal at GMS. I don't think it's last minute. Um, I think the fact that, Del, that Spencer Gallagher is, is trying to find somewhere to, to land in NASCAR is, has a lot more to do with it than the fact that Dalton Sargent might have some, some issues somewhere, whether she's bringing a, a sponsorship check or something. But, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, that Gallagher's father wants to have his son in, in NASCAR. He wants to have him in in not only driving, but having a leadership role in GMS. And 
he's looking for somewhere for him to ride around for the next last what ten races of the uh, of the truck series for this season. So he's all set to to race next season full time in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Um, I know Gallagher's an interesting character. Gallagher's been on this program twice, as we mentioned a few times now. The first time he wasn't the uh, to be honest, he wasn't the nicest man to talk to. He was rather short. He didn't have the best answers. The second time, he was happy as heck to be on this program. And he had lots of stuff to say, and it was great, and it was awesome. Um, honestly, I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that he was he is a recent graduate of the Road to Recovery, whether he had some sort of issues, either one or both of the times he'd been on the program. Um, hopefully, he's got that all straightened out now. He does have a lot of potential. His father is putting a ton of money into the team. Uh, he has an awesome sponsor with Allegiant Air and Allegiant Travel. Um, no matter what sort of stuff you've heard about Allegiant Air and Allegiant Travel, they uh, they put a lot of money into NASCAR, and you can't fault them for that. Uh, I don't know if I'd ride on one of their aircraft, but they do put a lot of money into, uh, into the sport, so that's a great thing. Uh, we'll have to see how Spencer Gallagher does this weekend. I don't think he'll be a, a factor, but I think he's, he's really happy to be back in the sport, and hopefully... He has a, a great ending to the season, and he's all set to, to maybe be a factor next season in the in the Cup Series. You never know. Alex Tagliani, another past guest on the program, is heading to the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park this weekend with two goals in mind. First, on Sunday, he'll be looking to score his first NASCAR win at the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in the Canadian Pinty Series with his number 18 EpiPen Rona St. Hubert Chevrolet and reduce the 20-point gap that stands between him and the series point leader. His second goal, of course, is to win round 17 of the 2018 Kemper World Truck Series in the number 12 Young's Motorsports Rona Contractors Division, sponsored Chevrolet Silverado. Coming off of fifth place, NASCAR Pinky's race finish in Nova Scotia last weekend, Tagliani stayed with reach of points leader L.P. Doom. But when I have to visit Victory Circle on a regular basis, if he hopes to win his first NASCAR title. With only four races left on the schedule, the the, the Quebec driver has to up the ante. To reach this goal, he will have to improve on his record at CTMP. On the plus side, he qualified five times in the top five at CTMP over the last four seasons, claiming a pole in 2017. Round 10 of the NASCAR Pinty Series, the total Quartz 200 is a 51-lap race, 200 kilometers, around the 3,958-kilometer challenging road course. And I don't think it's that big, but you never know. Race time is Sunday, August 26th at 11.05 a.m. Fans can follow a lap-by-lap written description of practice, qualifying, and the Pinty's race on NASCAR Home Tracks page at hometracks.nascar.com slash international slash Pinty's dash series slash race dash central dash live dash 2018 dash NASCAR dash Pinty's dash series. Probably easier if you just look that up on your favorite browser because I don't think you'd ever remember that many dashes. Under <laughs> listing live timing. Pinty's drivers will be first on track at Saturday at 1.05 p.m. Eastern time for the lone practice session followed by qualifying at 5 p.m. In the NASCAR Pinty's Drivers Championship chase, after nine races, Tagliani is third with 356 points, pulling back of leader LP Doom and one behind second place Paul Powell. This season, Tagliani has five podium finishes with the win and Troy Rivera's for a total of seven top ten, 
himself scored a pole position in Toronto to up his TNT's career total to nine. In 67 NASCAR TNT Series starts, Tagliani has seven wins, nine poles, 28 top fives, and 45 top ten finishes. The Canadian Motorsports Hall of Fame inductee will have plenty of, of track time prior to his two Sunday races, with a total of five combined practice or qualifying sessions on Saturday. Even his NASCAR Camper World Truck Series number 12 Verona contractors division sponsored Chevrolet Silverado, or driving his NASCAR Pinties number 18 Chevrolet Camaro Epivan Verona San Tuber Spectra Premium. This will be Alex's fourth start in the NASCAR Truck Series. All his races were running run at the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. In 2014 and 2015, he won the pole. His best result was a fifth-place finish in 2015. His goal this weekend is to win both NASCAR races on this track for the first time. The Trans Am Series presented by Pirelli will make its 46th appearance at Road America this weekend, featuring a 57-car entry for the Ryan Company's Road America Classic Weekend, August 23rd through the 25th. Trans Am will feature in two... 101.2-mile, 25-lap contest around the iconic 4.048-mile circuit, the Ryan Company's Muscle Car Challenge featuring the TA2 powered by AEM class and the multi-class Ryan Company's Road America Classic with the TA, TA3, and TA4 classes taking part. With Trans Am entering its compact final stretches of the season, championship races are in full swing across all classes, with Road America poised to play a pivotal role and a chance to shine as one of the truly unique circuits in North America. From a trio of TA class competitors, pursuit of points leader and defending class champ Ernie Francis Jr., to the TA2 battle between Rafa Matos and Tony Bufamante, to Aline Cipriani's surprise ascension to the top of TA3, there's plenty to watch for all throughout the weekend. Through six rounds of TA class action, Ernie Francis Jr. has topped the podium four times and has yet to miss out on the top three finish. As a result, Francis and his number eight frameless shower doors Ford Mustangs hit up the class championship standings by 45 points. But with five races remaining in the unpredictable world of sprint format road racing, nothing is guaranteed. In pursuit of Francis is Lawrence Lachock, driver of the number two Pinsel slash ETE Ramon slash Share Chevrolet Camaro, currently second in the championship and ready for speed home track magic. After a rough start to open the season, Lashok and the number two have rattled off three podium finishes in four races, including a career-first TA class victory at Pittsburgh International Race Complex. Now Lashok, a resident of Shorewood, Wisconsin, will look to continue that streak in his home state. A mere five points behind Lashok is the number 57 Crider Racing Cadillac CTSV of David Pinterest, still pushing for a year-end championship podium and is a successful Trans Am season to date. Contreras stands two points ahead of Chris Dyson in the number 20 club, Craft Ford Mustang, and is looking to rebound after a somewhat simultaneous round amid Ohio that saw the number 20 sidelines early in the race. Hailing from nearby Appleton, Wisconsin, is the most successful TA class competitor at Road America in recent years. Cliff Eben, pilot of the number 36 Stump Ford McMahon Group Ford Mustang. Eben has three career TA class victories at Road America, trailing Tom McKendall for the most in series history, with Evans coming in 2009, 2011, and 2016. Also racing out of Wisconsin are Danny Lammers, driver of the number 66 Stump Ford McMahon Group Ford Mustang, also of Appleton, Trans Am debutante Natalie Decker, in the number 44 Ave Racing Chevrolet Corvette of Eagle River, 
and also a competitor in the Arca Series. And Dave Rulo in the number 31 Rulo Racing Chevrolet Corvette of Heartland. Boris Stad in the number 21 Monster Energy Dodge Challenger and Jim McAuley in the number 3 McAuley and Associates slash Jet Co Chevrolet Corvette like Evan and Francis also stand as returning race winners at Road America. They're coming in 2015 and 2002 respectively. And then the past Road America victor is Greg Pickett and the number 6 flavor inside Ford Mustang who will also be in attendance for the TA class making his 168th career Trans Am start. Pickett was the Trans Am Category 2 winner in 1978 in route to his driver's championship. Paul Fix, also a past guest on the program, and the number four stop flex, the car coach Ford Mustang, has starred on the front row in each of the past three races, but has yet to see his efforts rewarded by a podium finish, following a bizarre streak of occurrences, including gremlins and being clipped by a lapped car. Now, with those behind him, Fix will hope his consistent speed can finally be showcased at Road America. Also featured in the TA class will be Tommy Dreesey, Kerry Hitt, Amy Ruman, Richard Grant, Tom Ellis, and Kenny Bupp. In TA2, the season-long muscle car challenge continues with Rafa Matos and the number 83 three-dimensional services group Chevrolet Camaro holding an 18-point lead atop the class standings with four wins across seven races. On pursuit of Mato and the number 34 Mike Cope racing Ford Mustang of Tony Buffamonte, who has kept the number 88 of Mato within reach through five podium finishes of his own. Buffamonte also has a history of success at Road America, a second-place finish just last year, and a victory in 2016. That's not to say that Matos has not showcased speed of his own in the Wisconsin circuit, as Matos captured pole last year, but exited the competition following contact only four laps in. Also enjoying a streak of success in TA2 is Scott Legacy Jr. in the number 95 SR. SLR Field Racing slash M1 Chevrolet Camaro, currently with two consecutive point podium finishes. While not contender for the championship, Legacy has proven over the past two events he's more than capable of mixing it up with leaders on any given day. Currently battling for third in the TA2 championship points are Jordan Buck in the number 80 Buck Motorsports Ford Mustang and Keith Fosiak in the number 9 HP Tuner Chevrolet Camaro with only nine points separating the two drivers. A familiar face will return to TA2 action this weekend with Dylan Mac. Burn joining the Steve Miller Racing Duo of Ethan Wilson and the number 49 Berryman Prefix Dodge Challenger and Anthony Honeywell in the number 76 Honeywell Competition slash Prefix Chevrolet Camaro. Mark Burn, a four-time TA2 race winner, will pilot the number 77 Berryman slash Prefix Ford Mustang as he makes his first Trans Am appearance since round nine of the 2017 championship at Watkins Glen International. Five members of the NASCAR Xfinity Series will, compete, will also compete in Trans Am's TA2 class with Tyler Reddick, Brandon Jones, Max Tift, and Christopher Bell, featuring for Mike Cope Racing Enterprises the number 14, 24, 25, and 26 Mike Cope Racing Ford Mustangs, while Ty Majewski makes his TA2 debut in the number 00 Newman Walks Racing Ford Mustang. Doug Peterson, 
debuted his new number 87 three-dimensional services group Ford Mustang last round in mid-Ohio to most much improved fifth place finish with the 2013 and 2014 TA class Road America Victor now interjecting himself in the TA2 contenders conversation. Porsche veteran Misha Goikberg which is interesting. He's going to be competing there. In the number 25 BC race car is Chevrolet Camaro. And Ernie Francis Jr. in the number 44 ECC anchor bolt and screw Chevrolet Camaro will feature as well. In the TA3 class, 2017 winner, winner Jason Jacolo returns in the number 27 Jacolo Racing Dodge Viper for his annual Trans Am appearance at Road America. For the sheer power of Dodge Vipers, Ford Mustangs, and Chevrolet Corvettes, Corvette will be pitted against the more nimble ranks of Porsche, Ginetta, and BMW. Also with V10 engines of their own are Cindy Lux in the number 45 Lux Performance Dodge Viper, Dirk Bloomberger in the number 75 Lux Performance Dodge Viper, and 2015 TA3 champion V Saunders in the number 84 V10 Power Racing Dodge Viper. So far, 2018 has been a good year for Cindy Lux, with two podium finishes to kickstart her campaign, including a third career TA3 victory at Pittsburgh International Race Complex. That's pretty far for her to haul, considering she's based out of Portland, but that's pretty good, too. For Lundberger, Lux's teammate, Road America will mark his first Trans Am appearance of the year. Tasked with navigating a field of vipers and current point leader Aline Cipriani, who pilots a far different machine, the number 60 Janetta USA, Janetta G55. Despite her consistency, Cipriani has yet to capture a victory in TA3 and must now pit her lightweight Janetta against the Road America Expanse. Making his TA3 debut will be Brady Refini in the number four LSI Sam Pierce Fast Chevrolet Corvette joining teammate Larry Bailey in the number two LSI Sam Pierce, Fast Chevrolet Corvette, who captured a third-place finish in his last TA3 appearance at Pitt. DWW Motorsports will also return to a TA3 action as they continue their development of a pair of ST350s Ford Mustangs, the number 70 WW Race Tech Exploit Ford Mustang of Brian Kleeman and the number 9 DWW iTrack Film TFT Ford Mustang of Chris Uzin. Pit marks the debut for both machines in current trim, and while new car mechanical issues hampered their finished order, both machines showed pace throughout the event. That's probably why we had some issues at the beginning of the show. We're talking way too much about mechanical issues and gremlins in this little segment. It's horrible. Marco Redesic made his 2018 Trans Am debut last round in mid-Ohio, piloting the number 22 precision-driving BMW M4 GT4 to a third-place finish and pursued an hour podium this weekend. As of the publication of this release, Warren Dexter in the number 61 Joe's Hand Cleaner Janetta G55 stood the single entrant in the TA4 class. Both the Ryan Company's Road America Classic and Muscle Car Challenge will be live streamed on Motor Trend On Demand, while the weekend will be showcased on CBS Sports Network on a one-hour highlight show on Pace Delay. Trans Am is joined on the weekend by NASCAR Trinity holding the Johnsonville 180 in the Speed Energy Stadium Super Track. Fans can keep up with the Trans Am series presented by Corelli throughout the event at www.gotransam.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash gotransam, and on Twitter at gotransam. The 2012 Funny Car World Champion Jack Beckman led all competitors in the class at the Indianapolis Test Session on Wednesday at Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis, Indiana. 
The 2018 NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series continues with the Chevrolet Performance U.S. Nationals next weekend from August 29th through September 3rd. And the test session allows teams an opportunity to dial in their respective tune-ups prior to the final regular season race on the NHRA schedule. Beckman powered his Infant Hero Foundation Dodge Charger RT to a pass of 3.908 seconds at 327.35 miles per hour to send him to the top of the leaderboard. Bob Casco third was right behind Beckman in his four performance Chevrolet Mustang with 3.958 at 317.5 miles per hour as he is still fighting for a top 10 position in the countdown to the championship playoff. The current funding car points leader, Courtney Forrest, drove to a 4.185 at 237.30 miles per hour as she aims for her first career win at Indianapolis. The defending U.S. Nationals event winner, J.R. Todd, put together a 3.978 run at 308.92 miles per hour as the former top field competitor looks for his second straight Indy funny car title. Eight-time world champion Tony Schumacher and defending world champion Brittany Force are tied atop the top fuel class with a Danko 3.791 second passes on the day. Schumacher had the quick error of the two passes at 326.71 miles per hour, while Force clocked it in at 324.59 miles per hour. Both drivers are entering the U.S. Nationals with their sights on a second top fuel victory this season as they prepare for the countdown to the championship. I should have details about the... Uh, the tests that took place today, uh, they should be posted on uh, Speedway Digest, if not tomorrow, then Saturday. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. There's also some information that we posted recently on the uh, Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder Facebook page about how to find the show on on iTunes, so be sure to check that out. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. We posted 18 articles on various aspects of motorsports tonight, um, earlier this evening. Um, some of them we covered during the show, some we did not, so be sure to check that out in the racing news section of SpeedwayDigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which we found by visiting palmbeach.happeningmag.com. We have a bunch of new information on there about our vacation countdown, which is the reason why we're not going to have this show for a few more weeks. Um, we're going to be taking off some time, uh, going to be heading out for a nice long week of summer vacation. So be sure to check that out at palmbeach.happeningmag.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again September 13th in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great Labor Day and a great couple of weeks, and thank you for listening once again and putting up with our little bit of gremlins earlier this evening. Good night.